Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 says that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of other people. And no one takes this honor on himself but receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And here he is uh, quoting from uh, Psalm chapter two, verse seven. And then he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, quoting from Psalm 110 verse four. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, remember, we're not starting from scratch. Why does he start chapter 5 off by talking about high priests? It's because in the end of chapter 4, he says we have a great high priest named Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, we can hold firmly to our faith. Now, the writer is speaking about the priestly system in the first century A.D., that at that time there were a group of Levites. They were all the priests. And we read about that in the Gospels. John the Baptist, his father, was one of the priests, and so they, they performed a, a rotation of duties, and there were those who lived in Jerusalem full-time, and then there were others who would come from other parts of Israel at certain times of year to take their turn in helping out, and then they'd go back home uh, to where they lived, and maybe they would um, help out in the synagogue or what have you. And so there was this system of priests, but there wasn't a clear like who the absolute next high priest would be anymore. It used to be that way, that there was sort of a hereditary system of who the next high priest would be. Um, But that changed because uh, the Romans got involved, the occupying, you know, government got involved. And then, um, you know, over time and after the Babylonian captivity, it wasn't always clear, like it was clear you were part of the the priestly line, but it wasn't clear whether you were to be the high priest or not. And so this sort of system involved, that's where there's some confusion in the gospels and the book of Acts, because it'll say like, this guy is high priest, but this other guy was also listed as high priest. And what would usually happen is you would have the official high priest is the one that the Roman occupiers recognized. He was the political one. And then there was the high priest who was in the background, uh, and he was there seen to sort of represent the people. It was like, yeah, everybody knows officially this guy's the high priest, but unofficially this is who the people recognized as high priest, and they worked out this sort of system. And what the writer is saying is that the high priest himself is a sinner, and the high priest himself, even going back to the first high priest, Aaron, 
had to offer sacrifices for themselves. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, before they could go into the Holy of Holies to offer the yearly sacrifice of atonement, the high priest himself would have to go through ceremony and ritual of cleansing so that they themselves could enter. They needed the same mercy from God that they were going on behalf of the people to obtain. This speaks, by the way, to us as Christians. In the last chapter, we talked about this in the last episode, it says that Jesus, because he was tempted in every way, even though he did not sin, he was tempted in every way that we are, that he understands our weaknesses and has grace and mercy for us. How much more should we who are sinners have grace and mercy for those who sin rather than condemnation? It says in in verse 2 of chapter 5 that the high priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness and he has to offer sacrifices, verse 3, for his own sins as well as the sins of all the people. What I believe that is saying to us is that even though as Christians we believe that we live in the true ways of God. We, we do. We believe that there is only one way to God. There is only one way to have our sins forgiven. There is only one way into heaven or the kingdom of God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus when he said in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We believe that that exclusive claim. We believe it is inclusive to all people. Anyone who wants to believe can come in the exclusive entrance. We believe that. And so in in part, part of that belief is that we believe that there is a way that God would have people live and that most people all over the world do not live in those ways, including church-going people. We do. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that God's word is true. And we believe that most people are living outside of God's ways. But does that mean that we have to be jerks about it? That's what I think the writer is suggesting here, is that those of us who are believers, even if we have been doing our best to walk in the ways of God for years and years and years, and then somebody comes along and we go, oh my goodness, what are they doing? Are we going to look down on them with condescension or judgment, or are we going to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray? Are we going to deal lovingly with those who are ignorant and going astray? The kind of bombacity and rage and hate that is felt by those who we would say are ignorant and going astray is palpable at times. And what non-believers talk about experiencing from the church is rarely gentleness and love. Now, we talked about this a couple Sunday mornings ago. And you can go back and check out um, uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, where uh, Elijah has this big showdown. In fact, if you go back on our podcast stream, you'll find, you know, Elijah the showdown. And um, The king, the evil king Ahab, comes to Elijah and says, oh, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's like, it's not me that's making trouble for Israel, it's you. And I don't believe that the church is the troubler of America. I don't believe that the church is the troubler of Portland or Milwaukee or Grover Gladstone. I do believe that Christians and sometimes churches aren't helping things in certain situations and in certain moments. I don't believe we're the troubler. I don't. 
Well, what about all the kids that Catholic priests abused? Oh, why, why only stop at the Catholics? We could talk about Protestant churches, independent Baptists, Calvary chapels. I mean, we could go on for, I mean, we could go on, my friend. At the same time, what about all of the uh, children that have been protected in the church, children who grew up with trauma who have been protected in the church, uh, people who um, came out of abusive situations and found safety and shelter in the church or who the church helped exposed? That's happened too, but nobody talks about it. You know, I was talking to somebody just today and they were telling me about some really positive things that were going on in their spiritual life. And I said, thank you for sharing that with me because all we ever hear is the negative. (laughs) Thank you for sharing the positive with me. But we don't have to be jerks about it. And I think some people feel like it's okay for them to be jerks about everything because we're right. If we're right, then how much more should we have care and concern and even pity for those who are ignorant and going astray? Instead of superiority or judgment or, or, or you know, looking down on somebody. Because we deal with the same things. Can you believe what they do out there in the world? Yes, because I see it in the church sometimes. We need to have grace and mercy for those who are astray. Because Jesus had grace and mercy for us. Now, the writer kind of makes a shift here and begins to talk about Jesus as the high priest. Now, remember, he is speaking to Jewish people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he is saying, Jesus isn't just the Messiah, but he's our great high priest. He is not just prophet. He's not just king as somebody who was descended from the line of David, and he had a claim to the royal throne of Israel. He's prophet, he's priest, he's king, but he's also priest. And he said, Aaron wasn't high priest because one day he decided to be high priest. God called him to that. And in the same way, Jesus didn't take that glory on himself. But when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, it says that the Spirit of God descended and they heard a voice saying, You are my son, in you I am well pleased. And here, the writer quotes from the Psalms giving this same idea. He's saying, Look at our own scripture. You are my son, today I have become your father. And then you say, well, how can he be a priest? He's not of the, uh, the house of Levi. His cousin John was. He had relatives who were of the, the, the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi. But he was of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of David. He couldn't be a priest. The writer says, hey, go back in our own history. Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek's this interesting figure in history. In the book of Genesis, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, won a great victory, and he came to the city of Salem, which is now where Jerusalem is. And Salem means peace. Jerusalem means city of peace. And this king, Melchizedek, was also a priest of the true God, the God of the Bible. And Abraham came and gave offerings and asked Melchizedek as as a priest of God to to offer a sacrifice of praise to God, thanking God for the victory he had just achieved. And the writer quotes the Psalms again and says, look at our own scripture. There's coming one who will be a priest, not of the Levite order, but a priest in the the line of Melchizedek, an order that existed before the Levites did, therefore is superior. And we'll get more into that later. But there's this idea that, that Jesus didn't take this on himself, but rather the human Jesus was given these things by the Father. 
And it says, during Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And he was made perfect. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying there is interesting. During Jesus's lifetime, it, it says in the Gospels multiple times that Jesus would go away and pray. And you go, what, what was Jesus praying about? Here we're told he was praying, at least in part, for the people he was interacting with. He was praying for the disciples. He was praying for the faithful women. He was praying for his family that rejected him. He was praying for the lost sheep of Israel and those he interacted with. The, the sick, the suffering, the beaten down. And he was offering up prayers and petitions the same way the high priest would. We want to be like Jesus? Pray for people. You want to be like Jesus? Don't look down on people, but lift them up before God. Now, when it says that he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect, let's walk through that. That, that in his life, he was living as this priest before God. And he was praying to the one, it says, who could save his life. That brings us back to the garden, right? The garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, Jesus went to the garden and he prayed. And he said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. If there is another way of salvation, remove the cross because he knew the agony he was about to endure. Not just physically, not just emotionally, not just psychologically, but spiritually as the sins of the world was laid upon him. But there was no other way that people could be saved. And so Jesus, at the end of that time of, of intense prayer, so intense that he sweat blood. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And he submitted himself to the Father, proving his perfection. So when it says that he was made perfect, it's more along the sense that he was shown to be perfect. And he went and suffered on the cross and became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And there he was proven to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, we have much to say about this. But it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. That's true, by the way. There are people in general, just people out in the world, who just have given up on understanding. I was talking to uh, my wife recently, and she's kind of taken up woodworking. I mean, she's not like building a house or anything. But this summer, you know, she, she asked for some power tools for her birthday. So I got her some tools. And uh, this last week, she's just been out sanding things and working on stuff. And she's uh, building the shelf and... Um, doing some, some like a little bookcase thing and, and just doing things, learning. And it's been frustrating at times because, you know, when you're learning something new, you, you make a mistake or you say, oh, I wouldn't do that, I'd do it differently next time. People stop learning after a while because they don't like making mistakes. Like when you're, when you're 14 years old or you're 20 years old or whatever and you're just starting out and you're, hey, I want to try this thing. I've never done that before. And, you're, and you don't know what you don't know. So, that, so you make a big mistake. And you're like, well, I won't do that again. And then you, you figure it out and you keep going. But there comes a point where we get older and we stop trying to learn new things. Stop listening to new music. Stop reading new books. Stop engaging with new ideas. I've already firmly established what I think about everything, and I won't re-engage with any concept. I know where I stand, and I won't humble myself to say, all right, let's unpack this and work through things together. He says, you no longer try to understand. We want to, make it, we want to say more about what it means to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but it's hard to make it clear because you're stopped trying to learn. And there, there's a really valid argument for that, by the way. On a basic level, 
the early church, especially the early church before the Gentiles joined the church, was just a group of Jewish people who believed that they had found the Messiah. And they were making reasoned arguments from the Jewish scripture. There was no violence. Peter tried violence for a minute, and he cut off the uh, Malchus, the high priest servant's ear, and Jesus said, put away your sword, Peter. Get, get, get that junk out of here. He healed the servant and said, Peter, th- the sword is not for you. You're, you're to preach the gospel of peace. So here's this group of Jewish people who believe that they found the Messiah, and they're making arguments from Scripture. That's what they're doing. They're just trying to... to engage with people, but the response is, we don't want to listen. We don't want to hear. Stop trying to learn. He said, in fact, though you by this time ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, what's he doing here? He's calling them babies. What's going on with that? What he's saying is, you guys have stopped trying to learn, and you've regressed. That, um, you know, a little, a little baby, you know, nursing on milk doesn't know good from evil. An adult does. And what happens, you know, I, I spoke about this on a previous uh, podcast where I talked about how, like, there's people who you'll, you'll try to talk about, hey, we'll talk about Jesus. And they'll say, no, I'm this. No, I'm that. My, my grandmother believed. It's as if that shuts down all conversation about Jesus. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Jewish, I'm Catholic, I'm Mormon, I'm Muslim. As if, well, I just want to talk about Jesus. Can we just do that? And, and what he's saying is you guys have stopped trying to learn. And in doing so, you've reverted. Jewish people, church-going people, you know the Bible, you should be teachers of it, but yet I'm having to explain, the writer is saying, not me, but you know, the writer is saying, I'm having to explain these things to you. You should understand that there is a priestly order above the Levitical order. You should understand that the Gentiles were always going to come in, that, that those prophecies exist. I mean, James, uh, uh, the brother of, half-brother of Jesus, quotes the, uh, the prophet Amos in Acts chapter 15, and they're debating about, can a non-Jewish person become a Christian? And James says, well, the prophet Amos said this was going to happen, and that's not the only place. There are plenty of other prophets, Jeremiah, Solomon, both come to mind, where it was prophesied that the Gentiles would come into the family of faith. But, but they, he's saying, you should know this stuff, and you've just ignored it, and you've gone back. He said, you should be teachers of righteousness, but we're having to teach you. And you've... you've haven't figured out how to distinguish between good and evil and to figure out that Jesus is good. And, and the, the, the priests and the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees have led you down a deceptive path. You know what? I'll, I'll say this as we're, we're closing here. There are people that grew up in the church. And that's who, when, when you're thinking about the modern application, people that grew up religious. And, and they'll say, I don't want anything to do with church because of this pastor or this Sunday school teacher or this youth leader or whatever. And the writer of the Hebrews would say, hey, distinguish from good and evil. Understand that that person was not good, but Jesus is good. Understand that that system or that setup wasn't good, but Jesus is good. The, the idea that the writer is getting at is saying, you've stopped trying to learn. And he's inviting them to just Consider Jesus once again. 
but people come around and say, well, I've, I've tried that. I've tried that. I've done this. And then when you walk through, it's like, wait a minute, you know, so many of the questions that I get asked is if, well, you, you don't know, can you answer this? Like, yes, I can answer that. It's, do you want to hear the answer? So many of the questions that I hear people pose towards Christianity aren't hard to answer. It's just a question of whether you want to hear somebody answer them. And maybe the reason you never heard an answer was that you didn't distinguish between good and evil and you didn't realize that the person, even though they had this role of youth pastor or Sunday school teacher or, or lead pastor or whatever, maybe they, maybe they were a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the reason that you, they couldn't give you a good answer is because they didn't have one themselves because they didn't know the word of God. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill and like and subscribe. Sometimes I say things that raise questions. I just said that there are pastors and youth pastors and whatever out there that are wolves in sheep's clothing. You're like, is he talking about somebody specific? I don't know. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can talk about it. Or you can always say hi on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Small groups and youth groups that meet through the week. We'll see you next time as we continue on another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.